It's probably because my hands hurts. My hands hurt from um from pounding too many drinks this last weekend. <laughs> Dude, is it still cold up there? By the way, no, it was sixty. Uh, no, it was seventy-one degrees today. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it was in the. It was like nice today. It's supposed to be nice all week. It's it's wild. I think it's we just tied the high the high temperature for today. Oh my gosh! In so I picked the wrong week to go to Lincoln, huh? Is that what you're telling me? You absolutely did. Why didn't Pantera show up a week later? Yeah, that would have been. Here's the thing. It's probably a good thing that you came when it was cold. Think about how bad, what, what state we were in in the morning. Imagine now if we'd like been, it'd been nice. Oh. <laughs> so much worse. Oh my God, so much pain. Oh yeah. Did you know that over $5 trillion exchanges hands on a daily basis? That's an average of over $220 billion an hour. Now how does this much money move every single day and why does it move the way it does? Here on Drunkonomics, two bartenders who also have to be students at the University of Nebraska Graduate School of Business are going to sit down and drink to the global economy and try and translate it into English. So sit back, relax, pour yourself a stiff one, and have a drink with us to the comedy that is the global economy. All right, guys, and welcome back to Drunkonomics, the drinking podcast with an economics problem or two. Wah, 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 wah. Or two. Wah, 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 wah. I'm James Goldwater, still less gracious host, but welcoming you back. Alongside, you know him, you love him, fresh back in Arizona after a stint in Lincoln, Nebraska, oh, Mr. Yeah. Aaron Wong. Yep, so good to be back. And by the way, it's a razor thin margin. The VIX is at 1542. The VIX, by that, we mean the volatility index. So, James, you're creeping up there, so man. Close. The 16 threshold, it's, you're, you know, you're not that far away. Man. Yeah, we we obviously re, we, we re um, changed our goalpost for yep. graciousness. Which we do every year. VIX based graciousness. Yeah. Which we try to do every year to more actively reflect the current uh, market the economy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. So, guys, remember in 2020, we started low, then we. It, Things got a little crazy there in the beginning of 2020. I don't know if you guys remember, but I certainly do. So we had to move it really up. We had to go like 32 or something. We were like, if it's over 32 or under 32, oh, that's yeah. where we'll play the game. And then we got to 2021. Oh. It was like, well, let's go back down to 17. And then, <laughs> or no, 20. And yeah. then back down to 17 or 18. And then, and then now we're at 16. Yeah. It's a crazy world. Yeah, exactly. Every once in a while, we'll make a bet midweek, right? And we'll say, okay, if the VIX Absolutely. closes by the, at this, or if the S&P is above or below this at this point, then we're going to flop graciousness statuses. Yeah, whatever. we'll swap out just so, to, just to have, a, have, a, have some fun. Keep, oh. things, keep things interesting for y'all yeah, and ourselves. Exactly. And um, by the way, with that said, as we're talking about the S&P and the VIX, none of this is financial advice. None of, the, none of anything that not. you hear is a reflection of the thoughts and views of our employers, whomever they might be. Nope. These are just our opinions only, not financial advice. We are drinking. I have right here a nice bottle, a nice dram outside of the bottle as well of Elijah Craig. And um, what, are you, what are you working got- on over there? I've got my Michter's American whiskey. You freaking classy broad. Oh, just outclassing me it. all the time. Well, well, we were at, so we were at Cigars. Uh, okay, oh, yeah, let's really preface. Fast. preface. We, we were at Cigars. We obviously had some whiskeys. And oh, um, yeah. one of my favorites was there. And I don't, I think you just switched to scotch with Bob. And so oh, I was yeah. like, well, I'll just get this one. And so I, I got my Elijah Craig toasted barrel, which is my favorite. Oh, yeah. Of the Eli Craig's. Well, I mean, anything toasted um, barrels is absolutely phenomenal. But yeah, Bob. Oh, yeah. Dude. Great whiskeys. Uh, it was a great, great time. Great times were had by oh, us. <laughs> yeah, Bob, great to see you. Liz, great to see you as well. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for the Andalusian It was a great bowl. time. Uh, and thank you so much for taking time oh, yeah. to, to drink with us. I feel bad. I totally left you hanging. You texted me on Friday. We exchanged texts for a little bit. And I was pretty hungover, in case you didn't know. 
And um, <laughs> yeah, I said, yeah, I texted Aaron that morning. I, I've been at work for about two hours and I texted Aaron. I was like, hey, you still alive? And yeah. about 45 minutes later, I get a text back from Aaron that went barely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and if you know me at all, when I'm in my hungover state, I do not text very well, if at all. So I really apologize. I felt so bad. And I'm, I've noticed that like this morning that I've totally left you hanging. So yeah, dude, uh, love spending time with you. Thanks so much for the, for the analogy. Cool. Amongst and, other uh, things. And just yeah. a great conversation. It, oh, we, yeah. we, I had a really great time too. Oh yeah. So and speaking of which, um, chiming in in the questions for the host is none other than Buffalo Bob. Mm. He said, since I made my living construction, I was all, I would always look back at the backlog for architects and yeah. engineers to determine the future construction of the economy. So I'm guessing infrastructure projects, but of course, like home builders or, you know, factory, you know, yeah, uh, no, absolutely. So, builders. so obviously we know Bob got, uh, made his living in construction in the construction industries. Obviously he was, and, he was a gangster there. Yeah. So yeah, no, that's absolutely right. That's a, it, it's a fantastic metric. I've used it in a few things and then obviously they used it in his rationale and it's the rationale I would use and understand is just essentially um, they would call the architecture firms around the areas they worked in to mm-hmm. see what the backlog was. Cause you know, if your architects are sitting, if your architects and engineers are like, yeah, no, we can meet you tomorrow. Like That's... our day's fully open. It's like, it's like, Oh, there's no work <laughs> coming down the pipe. That isn't already out there. Whereas yeah. if they say, yeah, we can meet you in six weeks. You're like, okay, they have six weeks worth of projects stacked up. So we can expect yeah. that there's work coming our way or there's work going to be around yeah um so that would be like i think yeah. a lot of that would be like capex i mean the the, what, the figure that i look at probably that's closest to that is probably capex you know just just like overall broader economic capex because when you have really high aggregate capex that means these companies are looking towards a promising future they want to make sure they can meet those demands so they're willing to spend money now to make sure that they can have the warehouses and, and this efficient supply chain for when that forecasted high demand or whatever that environment does come yeah. to the present day. It's like, okay, we're ready for it. And prices aren't, yeah. aren't too high well, and we can still sell all these units. Yeah. And then and the next thing, you know, as construction guys, they're sitting here going like, okay, are we, should we invest in new machines? Should we um, yeah. expand our ability to produce? Right. So should we make that CapEx yes. um, based on what, based on what they're doing? You know, and on top of that, I have to imagine there's also an aspect of it where it's like, well, do we need to lay off people? Do we need to yeah. tighten our belt to prepare for lean times? These are all all questions that you would um, that that would be answered by that simple like, hey, what's happening in our yeah. in our particular niche? Yeah. In it's, other words, yeah. To so answer- to answer the question in a in a shorter fashion, have I ever looked at that statistic? I haven't looked at the statistic, no, because I don't know <laughs> which statistic I would specifically look at, Bob. But I have looked at that information and gone, okay. Based on what, you know, my little bit of understanding about the construction industry, I would say, oh, all of the project managers are busy. All the engineers are busy. All the architects are busy. If you, if you don't already know Mark Champion, you're not going to be able to see an architect for, you know, for three months. To me, that says, all right, there's a lot of projects happening. So that's Mark Champion. That's what a great shout out. It's a, it's a good, it's a good time to be in construction. Yeah. So, I mean, to answer, yeah. And, you know, for my answer is, you know, short answer is no, I haven't looked at that statistic, but that is a very fascinating statistic. I really appreciate you bringing that up. And like I said, the closest thing I looked at to that statistic, whatever that may be, is CapEx. So yeah, yeah. I, the Fed does a report of overall of total aggregate CapEx. I don't know what it's at right now, but last I saw it was kind of trending down and then, no. ba- and then back up. Here's another point, guys. I forgot to get to this a second ago, but really fast. If you want to jump into the Discord and ask oh, yeah. questions, see our answers, just jump on board. Join us in our <coughs> alternate weeks. Uh, <laughs> just kind of hanging out in the voice channels. We didn't do that last week. We were hanging out together. A little different. Oh, yeah. But don't worry. We'll tell you all about it. 
you'll want to check out the Discord. The invite there oh, is, yeah. can be found on all of our social media. So that's at Drunkonomical, D-R-U-N-K-E-N-O-M-I-C-A-L. And that's nice. on Twitter. I'm not calling it X. In the metaverse. <laughs> Same old you know, any, um Yeah, in, in the metaverse, metaverse, Facebook and Instagram. Threads, whatever, um, yeah. Exactly. So... Check us out there, and you'll find the invite to the Discord. Feel free to jump jump in and join us. It's a pretty good time. Uh, what's great is that sometimes there, there are some really great questions that come through, and then there's just some really good times to click people have out there uh, filling and killing. So, oh yeah, you know, it, it's a good time. Oh yeah, but that it's, brings us to the question second from question. Today. Yeah, the second question yeah. in our questions for the host uh, Discord chat. Uh, long time listener, Ethosphere. First, yeah, Ethosphere. Long time listener, first time caller. First of all, thanks for chiming in. Love it. Love hearing from you. <laughs> thanks for listening. But, uh, thanks for calling. Oh, yeah. Very, very, very happy to hear from you. Hopefully, you're enjoying a nice stiff one with us. But uh, I love this question about the, the mega cap tech. I guess it's short enough I can read the whole thing. But he says, with the ever-decreasing market breadth, do you guys see any potential for a situation where some event, i.e. poor earnings, antitrust rulings, etc., uh, from one of the Fab Four or Mag Seven could cause a percent drop? in the S&P 500, or I mean, I'm paraphrasing here, but, but do you think that yeah. can cause a percent drop in the share price and then all of a sudden cause like a general... The tech stocks only go up neg- narrative uh, to be broken. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. The simplest answer to that is absolutely I do. Yeah. I, I don't see... Now, the next part is, uh-huh. is could, could something like that be a catalyst to send the U.S. into recession? And um, yeah. Yeah. Second part of the question. <laughs> it absolutely could. It's, um, yeah, I, I, but I don't yeah. necessarily think that would send the U.S. into recession. Like, if share prices come down, that doesn't necessarily mean that the U.S. will go into the recession or is in the recession no. or whatever it is. I think, generally speaking, oh, usually, no. usually the share prices or the S&P 500 or the broader market, however you want to call it, usually that comes down before the recession. And, you know... For, in terms of how far it lingers at its at its trough or whatever you want to call it, that's a different story. But yeah, yeah. You, usually the markets come guess, down first. Well, so for me, what I'll say is this, um, and I know I've harped, I've opined on this, I've made this my I've made my opinion on this known for quite some time, and over the last four or five years, um, at least the last four years with you guys, financial markets correcting or entering recession does not mean economic recession. No, it doesn't. Yeah. Economic recession is is damage to actual GDP. Yeah, damage exactly. to stock price is not related. It is not that. Yeah, um, that, well, that's why we have like this thing called earnings recession, where you see negative growth in earnings. Yeah, but doesn't mean GDP is going down. It just means earnings are going down, right? For these, yeah, it just ca- means ma- that ca- tech companies, you know. Yeah, and so you know, for the Fab Four, the Magnificent Seven, although it's not the Magnificent Seven anymore, right? They uh, a lot of people are, are saying Tesla doesn't belong there anymore, and I've said Tesla doesn't belong there for a long time. Well, because, I mean, um, we can argue literally. Well, for, you've all heard my reasons, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but like, I mean, we can argue for like literally any of them. I mean, if you look at the just from a multiple perspective, it's like wow. I mean, the the, the share prices are technically yeah. really overvalued, but at the same time, you never know what could happen with earnings revisions. You know, so no, like we saw that last. So for me, like uh, for me, the big one. Would poor earnings be enough to like set off a multi percentage drop in, in share price for a uh, one of these companies? Um, yeah, it could. It's more the forecast. Uh, having said that, it's more the forecast. Yeah, a poor earnings report or an earnings revision might. If you were to actually see like a major loss, you'd have to look at what it was. So like, if I see a major loss from like a one off, like a one off event where they're like, hey, this is a non recurring expense or a non recurring loss because. 
I don't know, um, Google got shut down in China. And so they're writing off everything that they were doing, all their, all their, the whole oh, Chinese yeah. market, right? Or Amazon writes off the whole Chinese market and stops trying to compete with Alibaba after trying to compete with Alibaba and spending a huge amount of money, which they aren't doing, right? So if, if you see like a major thing like that or a, a nationalization of a big chunk of a portfolio of one of these firms. Yeah. Um, i.e. Alibaba. You might, yeah. you might. Or Pinduoduo, or was yeah. that company? Or, Pinduoduo or, and. Yeah, another, like yeah that. another Chinese. Yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of those. But, but that's not, but I wouldn't expect an er, like poor earnings or to, to not come, to be a surprise. There would be a forecast of them going like, hey, uh, really tamp down your expectations. And the analysts out there yeah. would also be getting told, hey, an, like they like they work between a company and its analysts is a two-way street. Like they will talk to their analysts and go like, hey, I really think you should temper your expectations. I think you're really optimistic about what's going on. You fail to take into account these things yeah. because you, you want to be in pretty much in line with what your analyst is um, preparing the market for. For yeah. me, it would be an, an antitrust ruling or a nationalization that would be much more damaging that could cause that. Yeah. Um, a nationalization, I think, would be a lot tougher to see on U.S. soil. I mean, that's probably more or like overseas markets, yeah. but but oh, then, yeah. for granted, for granted, like to your to your point, like it's very much. I mean, these companies are that, overseas. That's the, but yeah. that that's the kind of shock you'd have to see to like really damage one. Yeah, like so a, a nationalization of something. Yeah, a nationalization of of a big chunk of a certain company's supply chain that's in Indonesia or something like that. It's like okay, well, mm-hmm. you're, a lot of your manufacturing comes out of there. Now all of a sudden they nationalize something, or, or there's some sort of labor law or whatever that happens over there too. Yeah, that could be huge. But I do think you know. Back to the earnings revisions, you know, or the or the earnings, um, uh, the earnings reports are to, to a um, bad earnings report. Yeah, yeah, like I, I don't a bad earnings cycle. Yeah, like I don't think just kind of high level. I do think a, a poor earnings cycle could definitely crush the stock price. But I think usually what happens is like some guy from one of these big companies could come out and say. And this is just a completely, I don't know. I have no idea if this is actually going to happen. So this is not like me just trying to forecast or front run a trade. This I, I swear to God, I have no stake in any of this stuff. But some analysts from one of these big companies can easily come out and say, hey, we might have gotten a little bit too overzealous. These earnings forecasts that we released in our last earnings call, these just can't be met. So because of an announcement like that, yeah, I mean, the stock price could definitely plummet. But like we've seen last year when NVIDIA came out with their earnings report, their freaking stock shot up. It didn't shoot up because they had a good quarter. It shot up because the earnings forecast for the rest of the year was phenomenal. That was it. Um, and I think that was that Q one of last year that that happened. I think it was. Yeah. And but it, yeah, but that's but stuff like that is ridiculous because it's like okay, this stuff hasn't happened yet. I, like and maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But like the stock price shoots up by twenty percent because these guys during the earnings call are like, dude, we feel so optimistic about this AI momentum. We think our our earnings in the next three quarters are going to be this, this this much per share. I have no idea what the number was, but it's going to be this much per share. And investors and traders, retail people were like, technically, if if it does come out to that much per share, whatever the number is, if it comes up to $20 per share, I don't made up numbers, right? But if it comes out to $20 per share, which is really high, um, that would mean that the stock price, even after a 20% increase, is cheaper from a, multi, a trading multiple perspective than it was before the 20% increase because the earnings revisions went up. And I think earnings revisions could go up, but they could also go down. And Absolutely. I think either, either one could, could lead to a, a pretty significant pullback in the actual share price. Yeah. Uh, but I think to your point, like an antitrust, that would crush it a lot more. I think a, an earnings revision is a little bit more likely though. Yeah, which is, which is why like it's more likely 
but because it's more likely you the market is more insulated a little more insulated earnings revisions happen all the time both ways major antitrust rulings don't no they don't and when they do right so like let's think about like the the the, one of the biggest major antitrust rulings uh, that biggest major wow (laughs) one of the biggest antitrust rulings recently and by recently i do mean in the last like 30 40 years was the breakup of the bell system right what's the bell system uh bell telecom so like all the phone lines and phones in the it was one company. It was Bell. Well, it was, yeah, and then it was Alexander broken Graham up. Bell, yeah, yeah, I and mean, then that was broken up, and um, it, it became the Baby Bells. And so, like, you had Bell South was one of them, but you had all these all these smaller phone service providers in the U.S. Oh, it's kind of like that one oil guy, yeah, uh, the Sherman Antitrust in, in the '30s, or I think yeah. was it the '30s. Exactly. Like well, that, if, we, yeah. if we go back a if we go back a hundred years, it's um, it's the breakup of uh, Standard Oil. Yeah, Standard Standard. That's what it was. Standard Oil, the so, Sherman Antitrust, so, and then I forget who. So Bell Bell was the f- telecom equivalent of. So when did the Bell thing Standard happen, and, and what came out of that? So there were a bunch of because like Standard Oil was a bunch of divisions, right? It, there is like all these regional breakups. And, and like regional oil transportation, like it, a lot of midstream and upstream uh, in terms of the oil industry, the energy industry, like the midstream and upstream. And I think even the downstream energy companies kind of got split up, yeah, even so, though they were all under Standard Oil. Yeah, they were split up into, into, and, compet- into competitive companies, essentially is what it, it started technically, to compete. Yeah. So, like, so like Texaco used to be a, yeah, that, that's a right. Standard Oil company. Amco, I think, and, used to um, be as well. And Amco and Mobile, I think. So like all I think the gas Exo, stations, yeah. like... Exxon, like all these gas stations we see now are break are, are the are the descendants okay, of yeah, the there broken so, up. Okay, I was correct. Standard oil companies. Yeah, I was correct. So midstream, yeah. midstream and downstream energy that was like that was like ninety percent run by Standard Oil at one point, and then yeah, so the antitrust broke that up, and then there's Bellcom. So uh, so the Bell system was broken up in 1982. Early, okay. it was like January 1982, and uh, when they broke up, they broke up into uh-huh. Ameritech, Bell Atlantic, Bell South, Cincinnati Bell. Uh, 9X, Pacific Telesis, Southern New England Telephone, Southwestern Bell Corporation, and they U.S. Sound, West. They sound like so subsidiaries, were, yeah, but... Yeah, so it was... So originally this was all owned... Originally it was all owned by AT&T, and it was... And AT&T essentially, while, while they were being sued for antitrust, um, oh. agreed to break up. They agreed oh, okay. to break up on their own and just say, hey, look, you're right, we'll break up. Well, does, that, does that work? <laughs> Yeah, well, and I think so, so. This is really interesting too, because if you think about the '30s, and the reason why I bring up these anecdotes is because if you think about the '30s, if you think about the '80s, '30s like oil transportation and the big industrial revolution, that was that was kind of a new thing, you know, that people can tap into this kind of market and really kind of take hold and and really form a bottleneck within one industry, right? Which was Standard Oil, and then yeah, it was a new thing. It got broken up, and if you look at in the eighties, exactly. telecom was a very new. It was a very new concept, right? Phones and whatever mm-hmm. it was, satellite towers, whatever. All that was a very new concept. And now, if you look at in twenty twenty four, social media has only been around. If you really think about it, I guess MySpace, rest in peace, great website. Missed that thing so much. That doesn't show you how old I really am. I don't know what does. Tom was my friend too. Tom was an excellent um, friend, man. But yeah, if you look at social media, it's a really relatively new concert. I mean, if you think about it, it's about 20 years old, but it really didn't gain momentum until about 2008. I think Facebook got big. Yeah, 2008, 2009. Yeah, early high school. It's so, kind of when it broke out of just being colleges. 
Yes, exactly. Because originally and, to get a Facebook, you had to have a college email address. Uh, well, for a while, it used to be you needed a, a you know at Harvard.edu and then a, at Stanford.edu. And then it, had, and then and then it, it just became, had to be a college. Yeah. Yep. Anything.edu and then eventually fair game to all. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's still a relative new concept. But then if you look at Amazon and like how many different industries and how many different pieces of pie that they're grabbing in, in each industry. I mean, they were ma- Amazon was a to play major, in, yeah. Yeah, they were a major player in the film film industry, in the music industry. Uh, obviously, yep. web services, that's no surprise there. Um, and of Cloud course- Cloud computing web services. Yeah, uh, obviously, they're a huge shop shopping front. Yeah, um, with, yeah that's the obvious uh, one. Yeah, they're, so. a, they're a massive, on top of that, they're a massive logistics firm. Oh, yeah. So they're, com- they're competing with UPS, FedEx. They're competing mm-hmm. with- you know, any eBay, Etsy, what, like all that online stuff, they're competing yeah. with Netflix, they're, complete, they're competing with Spotify, and like doing a pretty good job, uh, mind you, right? Yeah. And they're, they're competing with they're Oracle. They're holding their own, they're holding their market share. Yeah. They're, so yeah. They're, I, I think they're, they're trying, well, they're not. Google's trying to compete with Microsoft, but yeah. like, which by the way, cheats, get out of here. Oh my gosh. Don't Excel give till I die. Dude. 100% Excel. 100% Excel till I, till I die. But Google Docs is nice. I will say that. The, the, she mm-hmm. just nice for the for the for the um but then again i guess there there is box and but I, I don't know i don't i don't like the box system as much as i like google drive so. i just i'm an i'm an excel guy and you and me both you and me both but i guess while yeah. we're on the subject speaking of which nvidia did surpass google in market cap did you see that mm-hmm. pretty fascinating stuff that that it'll be it'll be interesting to see how that plays out yeah um one more fun fact i was gonna uh, say i have one if one I, small point to Ethosphere's question okay well one more fun fact like crazy fun fact while we're at it, um, Invesco QQQ. So you remember, you know, that ETF, the, the tech sector, the NASDAQ yeah. heavy ETF, massive liquidity, yeah. massive breath, right? We all know how big that ETF is. NVIDIA Dude. options have more, more open interest and more trading, daily trading volume than the options on the queues. That's just, just so you know. Okay. But I won't say what I do with that information, or at least when I do say it, I wouldn't necessarily, I don't want it published in the episode, but. Yeah. Well, I'd probably want to trade on QQQ options and not... It depends if you're long or short. I, I will say that. It depends if you're long well, or short. So, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm just saying, not much to do with... Uh, it really doesn't have... I just think that's a really fun fact. And it's just crazy, like, the speculation around this this oh, one yeah. single stock. And then there's the queues, which NVIDIA is a giant part of. I think NVIDIA is, like, freaking 17 or 18% of the queues. I don't know. I don't have that information on top, offhand, but... It's a giant part of the queues. There's a few ETFs I look at that I'm like, I really wish you weren't so dependent on a single company. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. To of make course. Up your ETF. Of course. But like, like, I mean, like, if you think of like, I just think it's, I, I think it's really fascinating because if you think of like trading options, and if you look, if you're looking for a lot of liquidity, like generally speaking, the spy ETF is a great one. The queues is also like probably the second best. I don't know off the top of the head, off my head. I think, but spy is definitely number one. Queues I think are number two, and it's just so funny that. And Apple has great liquidity in their in their options chain too, but I just think yeah. it's so funny that Nvidia has surpassed that. But anyways, uh, I I just wanted to yeah. put that in. No, so so my 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 point to at this first question and why I so instinctively said, oh, an anti major yeah. antitrust ruling would be huge is um so when so AT and T owned the Bell system and when so AT and T was the yeah. parent company that ended up spinning off or divesting itself of the baby bells, but um. When it divested itself of the baby bells and made them independent, uh-huh. they had to mark de- they that was seventy percent of their book value. Oh, seventy percent. So think about that. So like a major antitrust ruling can drastically change the balance sheet of a company. 
So like, yeah, you woke up one day and AT&T's assets was 30% of what it had been the day before. And then the real next, the next question is like, well, okay, how much uh, well, but, of the... But in that situation, like if you were an AT&T shareholder, you would also oh, yeah, have you, shares of all these other companies. Yeah, but you would also have shares of all these other companies. And granted, like, yeah, I mean, the news of this passing would plummet the stock, would crush the stock. Just like any time there's oh, rumors yeah. of Facebook going through an antitrust ruling. It crushes the stock. So, you yeah, know, it, and, and it should hammer it because because even if even if they survive that day, they're in the crosshairs yeah. of the government of a government. And yeah. um, there's a really great expression, essentially, that I've that I've come to appreciate. Um, and it's uh, it's how long do you dance with a with an 800 pound gorilla? <laughs> Not long. Not no. long. I can tell you that much. You dance as long as the gorilla wants to. <laughs> So there you it's, go. In this case, the, dance the, the, as long as the gorilla wants to dance. In this case, the, the so, gorilla is the U.S. government, and will uh, and well, any and, government. The second, well, the second a Western government decides that it wants to, that it needs to investigate you, yeah, well, they're going to find something. As Warren Buffett would say, "Cop follows you long enough, they're going to pull you over for something." Oh, oh yeah, exactly. So you, you know, and I, I think to your point, like I, I think these companies are at risk for that. I, I think the more probable risk. And I'm not, I'm not saying that the antitrust thing or some sort of clampdown in any, in any stretch of the imagination there is impossible. But I think the poor earnings forecast or any sort of negative earnings revisions, which could happen in the middle of the quarter, you know, it doesn't have to happen at the at the earnings press release. It definitely could happen at the press release. But any sort of those things could is more likely to to cause a pullback in the stock. But the antitrust that would that would cause a major yeah. major no, it, capitulation feeling an towards that stock. An antitrust ruling can do it alone and out of nowhere. Yes. Um, a bad earnings cycle or a bad earnings report or an earnings revision, that requires, in my view, it, it, it can't work alone. It, yeah, but it, it, generally it's seizing on something else. Yeah, no, but that can also come out of nowhere too. I mean, but technically by that time, oh, yeah. by that time, it's there's always there's probably already been a slight pullback in the broader markets, anyways, right? Because the, yeah. the markets are looking at the economy going, well, exactly. like, oh, oh man, that's that's tough. So you, well, you know, who knows? It, it, I mean, if we really think about it, the financial sector, the the, the financial markets are a simple complex system, <laughs> right? Yeah, which is a stupid thing to have to, I would say, like. It's not a stupid thing to have to say, but it is, it is a weird way to speak. It's a complex system. It's got so many moving parts, but it is yeah. simple. Like you can buy, you can sell. You've got options that essentially give you the rights to do one or the other based on different strategies. And or hedge, yeah. And or hedge. But that's really kind of it. Like there's only <laughs> a, a simple complex system. Hong Kong has lost its, its luster and its reason to be an investment powerhouse globally because, well, let's put it this way. One, a Hong Kong court ordered a month ago, basically, uh, for Evergrande to be liquidated and broken up to make yeah. sharehold to make to make uh, to make its creditors whole. Great timing, by the way. And, but yeah, and that yeah. requires a mainland China court to enforce the ruling to to reissue the ruling essentially and enforce mm-hmm. it. And it's been a month and it hasn't happened. And so I would say that's that's probably a pretty good indication that it won't happen. And because that won't happen, it means that. Why invest in Hong Kong into China? Because you can't, you can't get your money out. You can't get your money back now. Yeah. Um, Chinese companies won't enforce rulings. So the, the benefit of being there is gone now. 
Yeah, and, and I, know, that's and one of the one of the points you made earlier: the nationalization of you know a, a, of a certain industry or a certain sector or whatever it is, or a certain part of mm-hmm. your business that could be wildly detrimental to yeah how it's. Well, think about this: like if 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 you and I are running are running a wildly successful podcast, and we'll let you know when we do, guys. Um, <laughs> Or not even that, like if we, if we were running a software, if we were running a Chinese software company that did social media and studying, I don't know, somehow, and we're essentially trading it 40 times forward earnings. And essentially that's someone saying like, hey, these earnings, we expect them to increase by 40, you know, by 40 times between now and forever. Yeah. Just how I, that's not what it means, but it's how I explain that. Price. I, I would. I was thinking is like. Well, it makes sense if you think that between now and infinity, it's possible to increase earnings by forty times. And if you say yes, then it's like, well, okay, then yeah, that's, yeah. that's not unreasonable. Now you need to be alive to real to to realize those gains yeah. for it to make sense for you. But that's a separate issue. Yeah. Um, related but separate. Yeah. But if the government suddenly comes in and says, "Oh, your average consumer consumes." 12 hours of your service a week, it will now be illegal for them to consume more than six. Yeah. You would, I would expect essentially my, my revenue to cut in half. Yeah. That's funny that, that and happened. And then share price, you'd expect to plummet. Yeah. Because it's, they'd it's go. It's funny you say that because that actually happened where they say you can't actually, you can't be on Instagram yeah. or whatever. And on top of that, like people in China, they can't, like, their Instagram interface or their whatever TikTok interface or whatever it is, it's not mm-hmm. like what it is here, right? Here, you can see whatever you want to see. Over there, you can only see stuff that is very pro Xi Jinping, you know, pro, uh, very pro, pro Beijing. Beijing, very pro Beijing, right? And, and you see stuff that may, motivates you, makes you work harder. Like they, they program that stuff to make you, you know, love, love king and country, essentially. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, there, I mean, there's, Social credit scores. Yeah. Well, and, and, um, like, and I'm not saying that as if it's a good or a bad thing, you know, which I personally don't think it is a good thing, but I'm saying I'll that- I'll say it's I'll, a bad thing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's not a good thing. It's I'll, a bad I'll thing. just say it. It's, yeah. It, it, I don't like that they do that. I, I, I don't. But it, from a business perspective, like, you know, how are you going to advertise to Chinese consumers? Yeah. Right. The people that pay the bills for Instagram and for Facebook or whatever it is for TikTok, it's the people that- you know, have product promotions on on those platforms. So yeah, they're not. When suddenly, not, when suddenly they go, I have to tell them like, hey, I can give you five thousand impressions a minute. To I can give you five thousand impressions an hour. That's yeah, that's a big difference. That's a huge difference. That's a big difference. Yeah, especially because you're paid on impressions. So yeah, I, I think I think all that stuff is. You know, this is a great question. So I'm really glad you asked. And it's it's got so many. It's got so many different like levels of like what's it going to be what what could possibly yeah like which one would it be because we've seen that in china like, yeah has the sabotage of the software industry caused the chinese rece- the recession that's currently happening and the answer is no but yeah when added to all the other things it hasn't fucking helped no it definitely hasn't helped and i'll go ahead and put on my journalist hat and try to stand neutral ground and kind of Uh-oh. give another perspective towards I know, but like, I, dude, I was I was a freaking journalism major back in college. I was a freaking television. Production. I know someone here's got to wear the neutral hat. And it can't be me. I do. I, That's I mean, not true. I, I'll wear I'll wear my neutral hat when it's I want to be angry at both sides. <laughs> perfect. And uh, half the time, 
Actually, not half time. Hundred percent of the time, we both <laughs> are. We're both angry at both sides. Absolutely. But I will true. say, I will say this: like, I'm not sitting here saying, like, look at all these risks for the Mag Seven because I don't know if the Mag Seven is gonna see a giant pullback in the near future, right? And I do think there is a lot of momentum, and there's a lot of, if you think just from an economic perspective, how much power, how much weight these companies carry, how much cash they have in their balance sheets. Like, if you think about it. One of the big factors out there for equity investors is quality, right? Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to come by a company with better quality than Apple because of their massive cash balance sheet. And if you Absolutely. look at the momentum behind the AI and all that kind of stuff and the influence that NVIDIA has in that field and how optimistic investors are towards AI. Now, I'm not saying AI isn't like you know the, the GameStop wave or the SPAC wave or anything like that. Is it, you know, it's got a lot of comparisons there, or and even Bitcoin, right? It's got a ton of comparisons there, but there is a ton of momentum there that could drive it forward. So I'm not sitting here saying these risks mean that the stock can't go up from now until March. I have no, I have no idea. So I just want you to be aware of the risk on both sides. If you're shorting it, longing it, whatever that position is, like just be aware of all those risks. This is not financial advice. I just, no. I have no skin in the game, and. I'm not trying to advocate for either position, right? I don't, I don't know if you should go long or short any of these positions, but uh, these are things that you, know, you raise a great question. You raise a great thing to bring awareness to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously we had a hell of a time drinking some bourbon and talking about it. So, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, see, my thing is like in 2008, like there's like two things that were essentially catalysts. To like the to the to the market actually being a problem, and I think and I think it's um it's really really stupid when I look back on it, and I'm like, well, because there's three things, there's two catalysts, and there's like kind of the end. Um, yeah. And obviously, the the financial crisis of 2008 was because of incredibly bad banking decisions and incredibly bad oversight, um, um, regulation, oh. oversight, all of it. It, it. You know, we all know well not all, but as a whole, we know what caused the problems. Larry Fink. Uh, uh, sorry, no, I'm. Just, yeah. <laughs> I'm just, I, well, I had to take a jab. I, I, I you know, you know, I don't like the guys. Yeah, so. but but we get to like, okay, so well, what was problem number one? What was the first thing that went wrong? And I'm like, well, first thing that went wrong is you have a, you have a crisis of confidence in your banks, and then uh, dude, I, I think it starts like with with, with oversight too, because. And but, I'm not saying like, but for me, I'm not saying like the financial sector needs oversight, but I'm just saying like the oversight does help in terms of like that is not a product that you should be able to offer. But if you don't know what yeah. exactly is in this product, and why would you tell them? Like, yeah, yeah. I'm not trying to point fingers at any sort of product, but there are certain products. I'm just like, this could get a little out of hand. And you know, if you look at like, especially if you look at like the mortgage-backed securities, and if you keep tranching these these MBSs, it's like. Whoa, yeah. oh my gosh. It's like, wait, hang on. Yeah, synthetic CDOs. You're like, wait a minute. Oh my gosh. On. Yeah, dude. Like that's not like, Yeah, this Whoa, is hang not on. I know. Like this is Hold not on, like what exactly are you buying when you do this? Because like there's like I said, there's you know, when you do synthetic CDO or when you have an MBS with all these different tranches, it's like, what exactly does that even mean? But there was no regulation over that because it was like, well, it's not it was illegal. New. Yeah, it's not, it's not illegal because there's no oversight. So. And to be and to be fair. That's a, that's a, I'm a strong proponent of 
if it isn't specifically illegal, it's legal. I, I am too. Like, I one hundred percent. I I don't. But I, I don't. I don't exist in a world where it's like, well, if there's no rule saying you can do it, it isn't. You can't do it. I'm like, no, you can do it unless you're specifically forbidden from doing it. Exactly. I one hundred percent agree. But like when you get a prescription into, against yeah, it. But when you get into these into this sphere where it's like you can create these stupid names like a synthetic stupid cr- product, yeah, collateralized debt obligation oh, yeah. and a. And what, I and I would is, argue what that is a mezzanine you, trance? Why? Like, what's a mezzanine trance and a, and a yeah. mortgage back security? Oh, so I, I would I would strongly argue that to introduce a new securities product or a new investment product, you uh, of, of that nature, right? So a new security like that, it should probably go through a similar um, testing. Not obviously not with the FDA, but um, a, uh, you know a rigorous examination by the SEC to determine. Yeah. Okay. We're not going to say you can't do it, but we are going to say if you're going to play this game, you have to have blank amount of backstop in the event that it goes wrong. Yeah. Essentially, you have to you have to hedge it. You can't be you can't have a naked short. You can't have a naked option. You have to be in a position. Yeah, but even then, it's like okay, well, there needs to be a lot more transfer. How are you going to get those lawyers to understand what finance and accounting people? Often don't either. Yeah, I know because like like these yeah. these brand new concepts. They sound so cool. It's like okay, you can make a lot of money, and then you can explain to a salesman, "This is all you need to know. Sell it, right?" And it's like, mm-hmm. okay, cool, sounds good. And then they're making money and hand that, over and that fist. Worked out and really then, well for the for the yeah. Purdue pharmaceutical guys with their salespeople. What do you know? What do you? Know? But, but in, uh, on the financial side of things, even those salespeople, a lot of them do have finance degrees. A lot of them do have. Have taken some finance classes. A lot of them yep. have to have taken certain certain securities examinations to do their jobs. So it's yeah, yeah. There, for me, it's like it's like look, you should have understood the risk. And if it's that really simple thing, if you if you can't explain, if you can't explain it in thirty seconds, you don't understand it as well as you should. Yeah. Um, well, and this is the thing too. Like, I, I don't mean to um, demean and discredit the entire like educational system in. That's that's already accredited in the United States. If you want, I'll do it. I, I don't mean to. I don't mean to do it, but I am doing it. Okay, so just you know, slow your roll. All right, <laughs> I'll let you get the snowball started, mean? and I'll and I'll I'll get I'll bring the avalanche home. Yeah. So what I I'll say this is like you know I've worked in you know I've worked for two major financial institutions in in my life already, and we've had interns. These are people that are majoring in finance that have four and all that kind of stuff that have great GPAs. And when I talk to them about the fixed income asset class, for instance, which is the most simple, it's very complex, but it's also like, if you think about it from a high level- It's the easiest of the bunch. It's, it's so much easier to just kind of understand at a high level. And, and then from there, like, you know, figure out how to make investment decisions. If you, if you want to get granular, yeah, like fixed income, I think is far more complex than equities. Mm-hmm. But from a high level- It is. It's, it's more complex on a low level, but at a high level, it's quite simple. Yeah, it's, it's very simple. and. I've had a lot of interns, I've met a lot of interns over the years that just have no idea how the fixed income asset class work. And I'm like, either like they aren't as smart as we all think they are, or the education system has failed them. And I think the latter, because I think you can train them. Like I had no, like I had no idea how fixing, how the fixed income asset it's class. It's all a learnable skill. Yeah. Cause like, I'm dude. It's all I, learnable. I graduated with my MBA. I had no idea how the fixed income asset class responds to Fed action. But then when you get into the rule, it's so easy. It's it's not hard to understand that. But like, yeah, I mean, just, just that, that simple thing, the fact that a lot of these 4.0 students in, in majoring in finance didn't understand this, I'm like, gosh, this is uh, this is kind of sad. But that's just me. Yeah, it's not comforting. 
No, it's not. Um, no, it's not. And I think I get, I'm very opinionated on that. I don't want to get into that rabbit hole. Yeah, I'm very opinionated well, uh, okay. on the education system here. I just realized I never, I never really got to my three points. Like mm-hmm. the two, the two like real causes of 08. Um, yeah. Cause one and two, basically, and I couldn't actually tell you the exact timeline of it, but it boils down to Congress didn't act, and so everyone went, "Oh my God, they're asleep at the wheel. There is no backstop. It's all going to go to shit." Uh-huh. And two, uh, Bernie Madoff. Oh, yeah. revealed to be running the, lo- the largest Ponzi scheme is all at the same time. It's all yeah. at the same time. And uh, is really running the largest Ponzi scheme in the history of the world up till then. We don't know. Maybe someone's better than that now. <laughs> the markets um, <laughs> at times. But we see that. Yeah. So those are the two. So like you have Bernie Madoff doing that. And so if Bernie Madoff, the former chairman of NASDAQ, had been running a massive Ponzi scheme and the regulators, despite being given every opportunity to catch him, failed to and not just like failed to on like a technicality oh his accounting was too complex but like failed to like oh yeah we just didn't check his bank account wait what you didn't check yeah you didn't check um that's one two then what, what so once your regulators have failed and once you've realized that the financial system itself isn't policing itself your elected officials go oh we're incapable of action that's when the markets really fell off a cliff and yeah. if you want to know, and this is, and this is just my opinion, this, this final part, like those two things are facts. The, the, the two prior points are facts. I may be giving them more significance than they deserve, but that's my opinion. But no, uh, they're significant. But, yeah. But, but the, the final point, the end of the 2008 trifecta, the, the last point, the point where markets started to calm down and relax. And it's a really stupid thing. And maybe I only think of this because I'm from Florida, <laughs> but you also remember that uh, Deepwater Horizon had blown up and was oh, yeah. venting oil right into yeah. the Gulf of Mexico. When they finally got it plugged was right around the time the markets arrested their absolute collapse and started oh. to behave actively. And the only reason I can, uh, the only thing I could attribute that to is essentially that it was something you could see on TV that was actively bad and, and then it was there- solved. Stopped. It had a redemptive, like there was still, yeah. There was still all the cleanup and there was still all the ecological damage and all the wildlife damage. All of that still had to be dealt with, but the bleeding had stopped. You had you had stopped. So like, the, the redemptive like ending that was court. And the optimism, yeah, was I, I guess was a catalyst to it's, the it's essentially pullback. it's no longer getting worse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's essentially it's a cleanup that, you know, because the first thing if I I've worked in a few restaurants in my time and a few bars too. And uh, if something breaks and if, if a toilet's overflowing, you don't start cleaning up the rest of things until you've stopped the toilet, right? You have to stop the, yeah. the actual problem and then you deal with the cleanup. Yeah. And that's essentially what that was. It was just, it was the, it was the, yeah. the U.S. was sitting here going, wow, that's a disaster. Oh, it's over? Okay. Yeah, it's and that was okay. a really unique time in our economy. And I think right now- I hate um, living in unique times. I know. <laughs> But it's always, it's always, it's going to get more and more unique, you know, however Absolutely. you want I, I guess more unique is kind of an oxymoron, but it's also going to get stranger and weirder. You've heard that great, like that great comment, like that it sounds like a, it sounds like the, someone's wishing you well, but it's really a curse. You know, may you live in mm-hmm. interesting times. It's mm-hmm. like, I'm really tired of living in interesting times. I know. Like, but I think everybody that's ever been alive has always lived in interesting times, you know, because like, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. everybody complains about this, all oh, this day and age, so. Yeah, yeah, I mean, but currently in this day and age, you know, just to kind of shed some light on some economic news as we tie bow on this is, you know, retail sale numbers came in. We talked about CPI last time. PCE comes out. We'll have to see what PCE looks like. It doesn't come out for like another week. 
So, yeah, it's really late this month. Yeah, so next time, next time we have a drink together, we'll we'll, we'll have seen PCE. But right now, retail sales came in, and I I guess wholesale price. So PCE, not PCE, sorry, PPI came in, and that also wasn't very optimistic. So I'm not sure PCE is going to come in great too, which is PCE, like we mentioned last time, is the Fed's metric of inflation. CPI came in, as we all know, a lot hotter than expected. PPI also came in a lot hotter than expected. So does the I'm, Fed have more room to to kind of hold, hold for longer? Yeah, I don't want to say I, raise, but hold. Yeah, sure. I think they sure. still have reason to hold. I don't. I, I don't see a raise. Yeah, but we'll have to keep it out. Like I said, on retail sales because that's yeah, an actually absolutely that, that's actually a good indicator of discretionary income. And I think at the end of the day, that's a good that's a good indicator of how well the economy well, discretionary income is seventy percent of the U.S. economy because that's consumption. That, exactly. Um, because consumption is not, all, not the all discretionary. Not all consumption is discretionary, but vast majority of it is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, there's stuff you have to buy, and then there's stuff that you want to buy, right? So discretionary is the stuff, generally speaking, that you want to buy. Even though I think a lot of that is the stuff we buy every day: clothing, yeah. you know, shoes, whatever it is. I mean, we, I mean, everybody buys that stuff all the time. So yeah, but if you look at retail sales, it tumbled point. I don't want to say tumble. I'm reading a headline. It went down 0.8% in the month of January, month over month, and the estimation was 0.3%. So you can kind of see like- so eight tenths versus three tenths. Yeah. So it's yeah. going down a little bit more than expected. I'm not saying that the, that the economy is coming to a screeching halt, but I'm just saying, like, I'll just say this, like, I don't think people are going to see this kind of, uh, what do you want to call it, gap? Um, like, I don't, there's obviously been like some sort of miscalculation here. Yeah. So I don't think people are going to see that and go, we'll just keep the forecast the same. No, you know, I think it's, I think we're going to see a, a requirement that uh, the I think the analysts probably whiffed it on what they thought January was going to be. Um, I could have told you that January is always three tenths of a percent down from December, really. Like November, December yeah. is one of the busiest spending periods of the year. January is one of the slowest. And so I don't yeah. know why you'd think it would only be three tenths of a percent. Um, especially when you consider debt, credit card debt specifically. Here's here's my thing that I want to see, and this is this is the consumption information I I'm really desperate for is I want to see the Chinese domestic consumption for the Lunar New Year period, mm-hmm. which we just had, which just happened the that, last two weeks. Yeah, that literally happened last and two weeks. So because for me, maybe we all remember four years ago when when we were talking about when we were we were just starting to. Jo- to make glib comments about COVID because we didn't know any better at the time. And, yeah. you know, Hong Kong had canceled Lunar New Year. Canceled. Which is a huge, huge celebration. It's the, it's, 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 and I know this because my last name is Wong. Okay, it's, just it's, so you know. It's New Year's Eve mixed with the 4th of July, mixed with, I don't know, St. Patrick's, St. Patrick's Day. Day. Yeah. And, and that's and what they canceled. And that's what they canceled. They said, no, just not happening this year. Yeah, that's what they indicated. Like it's, it's, I, Think about the draw on steroids over and over again in yeah. China, and they canceled it. Yeah, yeah. So and so, so that's when I went. Oh, economically, there's some, there's some there there. Yeah, which I think would be very interesting to see whenever that data comes out. But I think what also would be very interesting to see is you in a drunkenomics hoodie in the very near future. I'll be honest, you saw me in a drunkenomics hoodie very recently. But if you guys want to look just as good, or I perhaps did. even better, you're devilishly uh, handsome. Yes. <laughs> then. Uh, you can check out drunkenomics.myspreadshop.com and find some sweet merch. You can find uh, the original Drunkenomics hoodie like I'm wearing in oh, one yeah. of the photos. 
You can find oh, yeah. our new model Drunkonomics, our new logo Drunkonomics stuff, which is also oh, really great. Fantastic. I just decided to, wear, Love it. I decided to wear the classic one out because I was like, you know what? I'm Trying to show the OG status. I was like, I'm hanging yeah. out with Aaron. We're going to get the OG status. We went looking for our our dollar on the wall at McKinney's. And, um, oh, yeah. So, I'll, okay, I'll posit this question to all the listeners out there. Get back to us in the Discord or any, or, or any of the social media. Just let us know. A dollar bill on the wall of a bar... Is that M1 or M2 money supply? Or M3. Or M3 money supply. We have yeah. our opinions. We'll get back to you with our opinions in two weeks. Or you can even but... say, you can even say, like, if, if it's outside of all that stuff. Yeah. I'm curious Just let to us know. know. Tell us, tell us where you think it belongs to the money supply. Feel free to give us an explanation for your reasonings. Yeah. We're, we're really, I'm kind of excited to see what you guys think. Well, yeah, I, I, me too. I'm super excited because I, we had that discussion when we were at McKinney's at the good old Irish pub with a bunch of dollar Absolutely bills on did. its wall. Taped on its wall. With that, yeah, merch, it's at drunkonomics.myspreadshop.com. It's D-R-U-N-K-N-O-M-I-C-S.M-Y-S-P-R-E-D-S-H-O-P.C-O-M. From there, you can also find our Patreon. That's B-A-T-R-E-O-N.C-O-M slash drunkonomics. Anything there is greatly appreciated. You know, if you want to help us keep our liquor cabinet stock, fruit fresh, uh, ice cold, whatever it is, all that is very greatly appreciated. The light's on and the uh, mic's hot, basically. Exactly. Um, but from there, seriously, love you all very much. Thank you so much for drinking with us. Look forward to hearing some comments in the Discord. But until then, continue to please play Chestnut Checkers, Phil and Kill. Maybe we'll see you on Monday at 8 p.m. Central Time in our Discord absolutely. or our, our, our group chat. I'll be jumping in just to confirm that date for you there. I want to say it's going to be... The 26th, the 26th there we at go. 8 p.m. Central. 26th at 8 so, p.m. Central. We'll see you all there, hopefully. But if not, seriously, thank you so much for drinking with us. And remember to uh, do, what's that one thing again? What's that called? Well, if you're our listeners, but you, the critical thing this week, guys, is just to stay drunkonomical. That's what it is. Cheers, my friend. Cheers.